Have you ever dreamed of retiring early? How about retiring at like 25 or 30? In this episode, we talk about a movement that's inspiring young people to be very productive right now so that they can be far less productive later. But how should Christians think about the so-called FIRE movement? Is the pursuit of financial independence something worth going after as a believer? Is there anything wrong with it? And most importantly, what does the Bible have to say about it all? All of this right now on episode four of the Redeeming Productivity Show. This is the Redeeming Productivity Show, where we talk about technology, techniques, and theology in the light of scripture to help Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. I'm your host, Reagan Rose. Welcome back to the podcast. I got a fun topic for you. We're going to be talking about financial independence and retiring early. Uh, we're going to talk about it from a Christian perspective and kind of evaluating uh, that movement. I uh, just wanted to say before we get into it, uh, thanks to everybody who has uh, subscribed and who has uh, given ratings and, and the people who have uh, messaged me or left kind notes. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm really uh, glad to hear that it's beneficial to some of you, and uh, just hope uh, that it will continue to be that way. This week, I want to talk about the FIRE movement. So FIRE is an acronym which stands for Financial Independence, Retire Early. Sometimes it's just called FI or Financial Independence. Uh, it can go by other names as well. But basically, it's, it's this lifestyle movement, they call it, that has popped up among millennials mostly. And the goal of it is doing just that, it is achieving financial independence, i.e. Ha- not having a job, like a traditional 9-to-5 job. And, and then the other side of it is retiring early, as in like really early, like late 20s, early 30s in many cases. You say, well, okay, yeah, I think everyone wants that. How is that even possible? Um, well, I think that the true FIRE movement, it's most commonly done uh, by becoming uber frugal, like saving up fat stacks of cash and living off the interest. And so you think, well, how, how do people do that? Well, basically what they do is, you know, there's a bunch of different permutations of fire. There's versions called fat fire and lean fire. And man, this is a whole subculture that I am probably tempting you to go down the rabbit hole on. But bear with me because I have some thoughts on this from the Bible. Um, but but basically with normal, the, the idea of financial independence, retire early, um, is that you cut your costs down to almost nothing, like your costs of living, and you save the majority of your income, like usually over 50%. And you do that, uh, and you save it and invest it until you have, typically what they'll recommend is 25 times your yearly expenses. So 25 times whatever you need to actually live at that level of living. And then once you have that, you've uh, you can follow what's called the 4% rule and where you live off just 4% of that pile of cash, which is perpetually generating interest for you. And by, by doing the 4%, that's like they call it the safe withdrawal rule, um, you don't touch the principal. And so you can do this perpetually. And essentially, it's, it's self-imposed frugality 
for why? Why would someone do this? Well, it's self-imposed frugality in the pursuit of freedom and, and to mostly freedom from a job. And so, okay, how do people do it? Well, they do things like they might buy a house. They, do, they call this house hacking. You might buy a house and you rent out, rent out all but one of the rooms and you live in that one room and these people pay all your mortgage and then give you a little bit extra money. So then whatever you're making it work at this time, you're able to just like save big, massive amounts of that because you've cut out your most, your biggest expense, which is normally um, rent or a mortgage. Um, some people do it where, where they live in a high income area like, um, uh, like San Francisco or New York, but they found ways to live well below their means. Maybe they rent a small space or they live out of an RV more on that in a moment or some, you know, they live on, they, they'll start an online business or something and they live on a boat, uh, or, or like a sailboat or in a cheaper country or just travel around. Um, in fact, I, a couple of years ago, I spent a week with a friend uh, who has done this just that. He runs an online business, and uh, he basically lives on permanent vacation. He just sails all around. We, we sailed to uh, the Bahamas, uh, where he, he spends a good amount of time. And this, this whole fire thing is also related, but slightly different from something you may have heard of, which is, is passive income. You've heard of passive income, and that's the concept of where you're not necessarily trying to retire early, although sometimes there's some overlap here, but the idea with the passive income strategy is where you're creating an automated, typically online, business, which will generate you enough money uh, to live whatever lifestyle you want, and then you kind of just do the maintenance work of keeping that money printing machine, that business, running so that you can live the lifestyle you want. And and this was popularized by uh, Tim Ferriss's uh, bestseller, The 4-Hour Workweek. You've probably heard of that. And you say, okay, why am I even talking about FIRE, financial independence, retire early? Well, it's popular. Like, I mean insanely popular. I hear about it all the time, um, and it's especially, like I mentioned, popular among millennials, my generation, my much maligned generation. Um, yeah, okay, how do I know it's popular? Well, the official subreddit for it on reddit.com uh, is r slash financial independence, and as of this recording, it has over 628,000 members. And there's a major overlap here with people who are trying to be productive because to in order to actually pull this thing off, you have to be incredibly disciplined and incredibly productive with your life. And I myself have met several uh, believers who have crossed paths because we're both similarly interested in productivity, but their interest in it is in pursuit of this financial independence. Why has this financial independence retire early Thing become so popular? Why has it become so popular? And maybe you can tell me if you've heard about it or if you've wondered about it. I'd be curious about your guys' thoughts um, on this, if, if you've ever considered it or if this is like brand new to you. But but let me, uh, let me kind of flesh out why I think it's become popular. Well, one, there's a, several books that have stoked this movement of, of suggesting that, hey, people, you, there's a way you can leave your job early and retire young. Um, several big books that have done that. 
One of the big ones was Your Money or Your Life, which came out in 1992 by Vicki Robin. That's like a massive uh, one. In fact, uh, Vicki Robin, I think it was last year, 2018, might have been the year before, she was featured on the cover of Money Magazine because of this fire movement thing, because she kind of, the 72-year-old lady became like the unofficial idol of this movement um, because her book was so significant about this. Uh, Other reasons it's become popular... um, I think you say, well, millennials, that's interesting. Why is it cropped up among us? I, I think a big part of that was living through the so-called Great Recession in the you know mid to late 2000s. Um, a lot of millennials lost uh, trust in a traditional job, a traditional career path, because they saw that crumble uh, before their eyes and in a lot of other people's lives. We lost a lot or became underwater in their houses and um, issues with that. And so they're like, yeah, the, the rat race doesn't all, always pay off. Maybe there's a way to get around it. So I think that's one of the things that distrust in traditional um, jobs and career paths. But I think maybe the biggest pusher of the movement is the internet. And I don't just mean, this is part of it, but obviously the propagation of ideas via the internet, like that subreddit I mentioned a minute ago, and just the ability to find out blogs or follow people on Instagram who do this and be like, whoa, real people have done this, I, I can do it too. But I think also the uh, the fact that young people are able to um, start online businesses or, or do things online and, and generate a massive amount of wealth with if they put in the effort uh, in a fast way without a bunch of startup costs. Um, and so I think that's stoked it too, is people have found ways to increase their income quickly or provide, like I said, passive income for it. So that's a big part of it. I think that's part of the popularity. Well, what got me, like, this came on my radar is actually when I came out to seminary um, about five years ago. And so I, I moved from the Midwest, from Michigan, to uh, Los Angeles, the city of angels and of soul-crushing rent prices. And anyway, I'm not going to tell the whole story. Maybe in a future podcast. I have a blog post about... Um, living in an RV. But yeah, that that's there. Let me cut to the chase. Uh, I lived in an RV for about four years, my wife and I did. And this was to save money. And this was also to have fun while we're living on the West Coast. So we're going to seminary. It's expensive in LA. We say, okay, let's live in an RV. And then we can travel while we're out here and pay um, crazy rock bottom prices for uh, for renting at RV parks or living on the street. <laughs> as it were. So yeah, because of that, uh, when I finished seminary, my wife and I were both working full time uh, and we just kept living in the RV because we weren't sure what we were going to do next. At that point for mm, almost two years, we had we were making much more money than we were actually spending. And it was, I don't know, not intentional, I suppose. I wasn't trying to do the fire thing, but we were, yeah, we were saving more than half of our income. And for no really uh, purpose, you know. And I started reading about this and and I realized we're actually on track. Like we could, if we just kept doing what we're doing, we could join these fire people that I was reading about on the internet. And we could have stayed on that track. But we chose not to pursue that as a goal, and that was a conscious decision to to not pursue the goal of 
financial independence that would allow us to retire young. And I want to talk to you today, with all that preamble and introduction, I want to talk to you today about why we made that decision. And essentially, this is a critique of the FIRE movement, uh, and, and, and I want to help Christians to think through this. If you're flirting with FIRE, um, here's just some thoughts for you um, from the scriptures. Okay, so first of all, is, is the fire thing bad? Is it bad on its face? Is it bad to want to uh, not work a nine to five job? No, there's, I mean, no. If you have, if you don't have to do that, like, is there something wrong with that? No, I don't think that there is. If you wanted to do an online business or if you had enough money where you didn't have to work every day of the week, like, why would that be wrong? I don't think there's anything bad about that per se. You know, this strikes me as being markedly different than, you know, what what you read about in First Timothy five eight that anyone who doesn't provide for their own household they're worse for than an unbeliever, and it's and it's not the type of idleness that you read about in Second Thessalonians three. These people are just refusing to work and they're they're depending on the church or they're depending on others to take care of them. This is not someone who's refusing to provide for their family or refusing to be responsible. They are just deliberately trying to become independently wealthy so that they don't have to work daily to uh, pay for their needs and take care of their family. So, so it doesn't fall into that category. Um, and in fact, there's, other, there's, there's things with the, the FIRE movement that I, I think are somewhat noble. One is that appreciation of time over money that you see. You know, these, these people are, are self-consciously, as I said, choosing to live frugally because they see that the, the, their lives are very finite. They're short on this earth, and they want to make the most of them. Now, typically the way that they're wanting to make the most of them is by, you know, partying or um, just relaxing and chilling. But but still, that a recognition that time is precious. This is by people who, in large part, a generation who was raised by, you know, workaholic fathers. So they realize, no, I want to be... If they're family people, they want to be involved in their family's lives, and if they're not, they, they just want to enjoy the time that they have because they know that life is short. And this is this is a major, like this is not a minor thing. I'm saying this this whole thing of valuing time over money is huge. It's a major philosophical underpinning of the movement because they're asking, why should I spend 40 to 45 years of my life working for the man, you know, guy in a suit? Uh, only to spend the last few years enjoying the freedom of retirement. They're like, that doesn't sound right. And inherent in that is uh, um, lack of acknowledgement that we are eternal beings, that our the, the retirement for a Christian is not here on earth. Our retirement is in heaven. Our reward is there, not here on earth. Uh, other advantages of the FIRE uh, movement, obviously, first I said the appreciation of time over money, but also a lack of materialism. To take on this lifestyle, you're essentially giving up on materialism. Because the frugality, I might not have mentioned this in the beginning, but the frugality that you undertake to reach financial independence and retire early um, in the traditional FIRE model is permanent. Because when, when you reach that 25 times your um, yearly living expenses, you can't raise those yearly living expenses. That, that formula, that 25 times, that 4% rule is based on your yearly expenses staying the same. The exchange is essentially them saying, 
I would rather have freedom of my time than have a have just give most of my day and week and life to work so that I can have money, right? So so they're embracing that frugal lifestyle. And that I think there's a somewhat good thing there. They're recognizing that it's not possessions that bring them happiness. And just, you know, let me let me turn this again. Let me talk about this from a Christian uh, perspective. Okay, what what would I say to a, a Christian person who's thinking, hey, I've been reading all these blogs, I've been listening to these podcasts, and um, I don't know, this Christian friend of yours is from the Deep South. And, and, and I'm reading all this stuff, and I'm thinking, man, I want to do this. But I want to use it as a means uh, for ministry, right? What would I say to someone like that? Well, yeah, I mean, Paul was a tent maker, right? He worked when he needed to, to support his ministry efforts. Uh, I have plenty of bivocational pastor friends who have, instead of just working a 20-hour week, I know plenty of people do that, but they've built more of a side hustle than a part-time job where they're doing something online or finding some way where they can make money that's not related to just an hourly wage so that they can give more time to their ministry efforts. And so if you were able to become entirely financially independent as a pastor, man, more power to you. That'd be great. In fact, I know a pastor um, back home who he had, I think it was inherited wealth, but he, um, uh, he never took a paycheck from his church. And so he, he was able to not burden them, which is exactly what Paul said when he's um, talking about uh, his working for his own wages. He doesn't want to have a burden to the church. So, okay, if, if you wanted to pursue it for those reasons, wow, yeah, that's I think that's good. It could be a really good thing. There's nothing in the Bible that says you ha- the way that you have to make money is by working a 40-hour-a-week job. Okay, so there are positive aspects to this, and there are advantages to it. But let me go to the critique part. Here's some potential problems with Christians adopting FIRE, financial independence, retire early. The main thing is the motivation. Like I said, the FIRE movement, the main philosophical underpinning of it is my time is more valuable than money. But I think behind that is this idea that to retire early is is basically that, that, that happiness, my personal happiness and fulfillment here on earth is the end-all be-all. That is my chief end. I need to enjoy the time I have on earth. I need to suck the marrow out of life. And so they're saying this is the way to do that. And like I said before, there's a subtle denial of the eternality of man in that sort of attitude. To, to trust in money to be the thing, or, or independence, I should say, freedom uh, from, from financial worry as the thing that's going to ultimately be some sort of temporal salvation. And there's so much more than that. There's heaven. But motivation is the big difference maker in this. Let me share a parable with you. The parable of the rich fool from Luke 12, 13 through 21. This is, and I was working on this episode, this parable popped in my head. I said, wait a minute. Jesus spoke exactly to this issue. In the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, here's the setup for it. In verse 13, Jesus, uh, it's talking, Jesus is basically teaching. And, and someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? 
right? So here's the situation that Jesus is teaching, and this guy in the crowd is like, this guy seems smart, and he gives good advice. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, you know what? My brother, we got this inheritance from from my father, and my brother took it all, and he should share it with me. I'm going to tell Jesus to tell him, and then that'll get him good, and then I'll get half the money. And and so he, he thinks that in his voice, in his head, in that accent. And Jesus answers, which is awesome. He goes, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? He said, like, why are you asking me to judge that? And now keep reading. Verse 14, Jesus continues. Uh, sorry, in verse 15, he continues. He says, and he said to them. And so he turned to them, right? So he turns from the man to the whole crowd. And he basically uses this guy as an example. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Hold on to that word covetousness. We'll come back to it in a minute. And then verse 16, and then he tells them a parable. So he's going to tell them a story to, to make a point. He says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus finishes, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So catch this. Why? So Jesus presents this parable to this guy who's saying, hey, divide up, you know, tell, tell my brother he should give me half the inheritance. And Jesus tells this story of a guy who at the end is called a fool by God in the story. Why is he a fool? Right, the story is he tears, he, he has basically this huge, you know, barn-besting year for crops, and so much so that he has to, he says, I'm going to tear down my old barns, and I'm going to build bigger ones, and I'm going to store all my stuff in them, and I can basically live off that forever. I don't have to work anymore. I'm just going to retire early. This is a guy who's trying to do fire, and his goal is what? What's he going to say to his soul, right? He says in verse 19, and I will say to my soul, which by the way, just FYI, it's always good to talk to your soul and address it as soul. <laughs> I always love that. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Retire. That's what he's talking about. Just relax. Kick up your feet. Eat, drink, be merry. Just have fun. You don't have to work anymore. You're financially independent. You've retired early. But what's the response? In the parable, Jesus says that God speaks to him and says, fool. He calls him a fool. Why is he a fool? He stored his stuff in the wrong warehouse. Why? It's temporal. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? All the stuff you stored up, guess what? You're not even going to get to retire. Because he's telling him, you're going to die tonight. And so all this work you did, where's it go? It's gone, like a vapor that is your life. All of the wealth and possessions you store up in this life are gone. They don't last into eternity. You can't take it with you, as they say. And so he's a fool for doing that. He's a fool. 
Well, what should he have done? In verse 21, he says, so is the one, so this is a fool, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's the big difference maker. What's the motivation? Are you laying up treasure for yourself so that you can retire early and take it easy? Or are you laying up treasure for God? Are you trying to be rich towards God? It's not about the wealth, okay? It's not about the money. It's about the motivation. It's about what's in the heart. If you spend all your days hustling to gain financial independence and retire early and you succeed, what is that to you? Because you're going to die. You need to store your wealth in a eternal barn. So what's the sin here? Remember what he said to the guy in the beginning, which by the way, I love this parable because remember it's in response to this guy who says, hey, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And, it, and, and there's this great coda at the end because in verse 20 in the, in the story, God asks the foolish rich man, he says, your possessions you've prepared, whose will they be? He says, who's going to inherit those? And so he's, he's basically telling this, this guy um, on the sly, he's saying, look, you're worried about getting an inheritance right now. You need to worry about your eternal inheritance because that inheritance, whatever money you're going to gain in this life, it's going to go to someone else in the end. It just passes hands and passes hands as uh, each generation dies off. So the sin behind this here is covetousness. He mentions that in the beginning. And covetousness is a sin so abominable and so pernicious and so bad that it's listed in the top 10 list in the Bible, in the Ten Commandments, in the Decalogue, in, in Exodus 20. In verse 17, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. We could paraphrase that. You, you should not covet the Instagram stories of celebrity influencers. You should not cover covet the Facebook um, photos of your buddy who just got engaged to a, a, a beautiful woman while you're a lonely little uh, single guy. You shall not cover the, the, the rich people online who are saying, become an entrepreneur, get rich. You don't covet their donkeys <laughs> or their oxen. Right, I mean that the point there is is don't covet. So okay, well, all right, what's it mean to covet? Covet means to desire wrongly or, or inordinately or to, to lust after something that really is not yours by right, like like a neighbor's house or their or their wife. But it, it means more than that because ultimately, hear this: ultimately, to covet is to commit idolatry. And how do we know this? Well, Paul says it plainly in Colossians 3, 5 through 6. He, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he lists some things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He, he compares the two. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He echoes the same thing in Ephesians 5, 5, where he says that a covetous man is an idolater. It's the same thing. Okay, so how is coveting idolatry? Because isn't idolatry worshiping false gods? Bingo, bango. That's exactly what it is. Coveting is idolatry because possessions or money or a woman or a donkey or whatever you covet has become your God. It has displaced God in the affections of your heart. It's more important to you than God. It's the thing you pursue. 
And so this is the problem, this can be the problem, I should say, with a financial independence retire early thing. It, it, as it is with Austin, it's this issue of the heart. Jesus says, beware of covetous. If you're, if you're pursuing fire because you want to live that Instagram life, then the Bible says you're an idolater. And idolaters, on account of those things, people who commit covetousness, back to Colossians 3, 5 through 6, on account of those things, the wrath of God is coming. It's not where you want to be. Don't be a coveter. Don't be an idolater. Covetousness is a dangerous sin. And if it lies behind your pursuit of financial independence, you got to mortify that thing. With all of this, how should a Christian approach the fire movement? I think it's simple. We need to have a bigger savings goal. A bigger savings goal than 25 times our annual expenses, a bigger savings goal than building up big barns so we can retire early. Jesus said, the fool is the one who is rich towards himself, but not toward God. And our lives and our money and our energies, they're this stewardship that's entrusted to us to be used by us to make a good return for God and his glory. So you have a life that you need to be living for God, not one that you are trying to get free of all the burdens of work so that you can retire young and just have fun. You still have life that you must steward for God's glory. You need to be rich toward him with whatever life or whatever wealth that he blesses you with. You don't get just, just get to stop because you become financially independent. I'm not saying that you need to work a nine-to-five job, but if you do pursue something like this fire thing, it cannot be as an end in itself. That way lies idolatry. You may seek financial independence as a means of serving God more freely, like Paul did. Um, More power to you, if so. But remember this. Money is deceitful. You may be telling yourself that now. Well, yeah, I'm pursuing this so that I can can really serve the Lord more freely. And that's really my only motivation because my heart is not deceitful uh, above all things and desperately wicked and who can understand it. Now, remember that. Money is deceitful. In fact, in Matthew 13, in the parable of the soils, Jesus describes the thorny soil in verse 22. Verse 22, I'm Canadian now. And Jesus describes the thorny soil as, uh, he says, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world, and catch this, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The deceitfulness of riches. I wrote an article on the deceitfulness of riches. I'm going to link to it below. It's at the Master Seminary blog, but I'll link to it in the show notes. But the deceitfulness of riches, what is that? This is this is what keeps this person from inheriting the kingdom. He's tricked by money. He believes it's lies. He believes that it's the thing that, that, that can, can save him. He finds in it security. He finds in it pleasure. He finds his joy in it. He, he eventually just serves money as his master. So please be careful that if you pursue something like this fire, hyper-frugal thing so that you can serve God more readily, that you do not be distracted. Be, be on guard, as Jesus said. Be on guard against all kinds of covetousness. Watch your heart. Because there's still work to be done for the master. And there's still treasure to be laid up in heaven. And we must not end up like that rich fool who chose to put his money into fleeting pleasures. And instead, his life was required of him and he had nothing. 
Instead, yes, let's be creative in our service to the king. If we can find ways to, to free ourselves up for more ministry, then let's do it. Surely, come on, let's go. But we need to be sure that we remember what the author of Hebrews 13.5 says. Says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you 